taken from Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me known, make me know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take away your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your righteous spirit, your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your way, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. The God of my salvation and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your, do good, in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then they shall offer bulls on your altar. Father, we thank you for your truth and your word and the testimony of, uh, of David's greatest failure, but also the testimony of your redemption and your restoration. Let these words uh, penetrate to our heart. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Louis Zam Zamperini his life was chronicled in the book Unbroken and also became a movie. I've never read the book, but I've seen the movie. And uh, the title of the book is called A War, War, World War II Story of Survival, Resilience, and Redemption. This is part of the introduction of the book. In boyhood, Louis Zamprini was an incorrigible delinquent. As a teenager, he channeled his defiance into running, discovering a prodigious talent that had carried him to the Berlin Olympics. But when World War II began, the athlete became an airman, embarking on a journey that led to a doomed flight on a May afternoon in 1943, when his armed Air Force's bomber crashed into the Pacific Ocean. Against all odds, Zamperini survived, adrift on a foundering life raft Ahead of Zamperini lay thousands of miles of open ocean, leaping sharks, thirst and starvation, enemy aircraft, and beyond, a trial even greater. Driven to the limit, limits of endurance, Zamperini would answer desperation with ingenuity, suffering with hope, resolve and humor, brutality with rebellion. His fate, whether triumph or tragedy, would be 
would be suspended on the frame wire of his will. His uh, struggle didn't end there. And the movie doesn't carry that far. I don't know about the book. But his struggle didn't end there because he had another, another battle to deal with. He had an internal conflict to deal with. When he returned home from the war, he had to deal with those demons. He dealt with some of those demons through alcoholism. Finally, the man who was depicted as unbroken was broken. Not before the storms of the oceans or the torture of prison life, but by the one who calmed the seas and calmed the storms and brought peace to the world. He was broken before God. The young man who ran distance races with undoing endurance, unending endurance, could no longer run from himself. He was broken and then he was saved. Hollywood loves to depict uh, stories of redemption and resilience where man triumphs over great obstacles. We all do. We tend to like the Rocky movies where the underdog comes and he's undefeated. We like the comeback athlete stories like Kurt Warner. We like those stories. The world, however, has a difficult time understanding and depicting true brokenness when it leads to true redemption. True brokenness says, I am completely undone. I can't go on. I give up. I surrender all. I got nothing. I'm emptied out. In most cases, God's response to this brokenness is good. Now are you ready to surrender the control of your life to my loving care? I've never witnessed someone truly be healed from a lifetime of rebellion without true brokenness before God. From this brokenness comes a willingness to do whatever it takes to be healed. Psalm 51 is a true biblical story of redemption and restoration. We all know the story. David's worst moment. And a lot of the theologians say that it was about two years between the acts that happened with Bathsheba and Uriah before he's confronted by Nathan. So there's a gap between this period where Psalm 51 talks about redemption. It comes from a man who had the faith to slay a giant when he was a boy. A man after God's own heart. The king that God had chose. The author of numerous psalms whose lineage would come the savior of the world. If anyone knew better than to rebel, it was David. No matter how we're raised, who our parents are, how much biblical knowledge we have, we can still choose to rebel. David lied, he manipulated, he had an affair, and finally had Uriah killed in battle. Then he tried to keep it secret, and his bones wasted away as depicted in Psalm 32. Let me read a few verses in Psalm 32 during this period where he kept silent. Blessed is those, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in those and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. 
my vitality was turned into the drought of summer. We're familiar with drought from this past summer. We know what that's like. My question is, are you in that two-year period? Do you have any secret sins? Is God working? Is his hand upon you? Is his hand upon you? Is it heavy upon you? Because there are consequences, and God loves us enough to bring us to that point of brokenness. Psalm 51 depicts David's process of redemption, forgiveness, and restoration. But David also needed a friend. He needed someone who was going to tell him the truth. Without Nathan, this story of redemption might have a different ending. My question is, do you have a Nathan in your life? Do you have someone who's going to speak the truth to you out of love? One who will point you toward the true source of redemption, grace, mercy, and forgiveness. We live in a world today that has very few Nathans. The world is removing any consequences to sin, so therefore brokenness never occurs. If our sin doesn't hurt, then it doesn't cost us, and we often are shielded from that place of brokenness. If God calls you to be a Nathan in someone's life, and you refuse, then you become an enabler and no different than the world system. No one else could have done the job Nathan did. Nathan was called to do this. He had the king's ear and he had his trust. Nathan didn't know the outcome of him presenting this before David. He could have been exiled, he could have been put to death, he could have been demoted, he could have been shunned. God didn't tell him what the results were going to be. Are you someone's Nathan, no matter what the consequence or the cost might be to you? Now let's take a look at some of the verses in Psalm 51 and focus upon this is a process of redemption. It's a process of forgiveness and restoration that David went through. Verse 1, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. We all know mercy is not getting what you do deserve. David knew the wages of sin was death, but he was appealing to God's mercy to not get what he deserved. He's also looking to God, God's loving kindness, even though he was bringing nothing to the table. Remember that. He's bringing nothing to the table. He didn't present his resume of good works. He brought nothing but his filthy rags of sin. Without this mercy and loving kindness, his process would be cruel and fruitless. He's appealing to God's mercy. We exchange our filthy rags for sin, of sin for his love and redemption. We first have to acknowledge the stinky, disgusting rags of our sin and then we have to hand them over to the one who bought them. Have you ever experienced that kind of mercy? Or do you blend in your resume of good works and believing God will appreciate and accept this offering? Remember, we're bringing nothing to the table. Verse 2, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He didn't just address one or two of his sins. He didn't say, like, guys, when we get a haircut, hey, just take a little off the top. It's not what he said. He said, wash me thoroughly from top to bottom of all my iniquities. No child in the history of mankind has said to their mother, 
Gee, Mom, I wish you'd take that really rough washcloth and just scrub me as hard as you can, especially behind the ears. That would be awesome. But that's what David is saying. He wants to be washed from top to bottom thoroughly. In other words, this is painful. This is painful. This is difficult stuff. This is not just some nice poetic thing that he's writing here. It's difficult. But David is fully submitting to it. He's done with being dirty. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Everybody wants there to be no consequences to their sin. I've heard this conversation many times is that people will confess their sins, but they want there to be no consequences to it. God has forgiven me. You can't bring this up anymore. There shouldn't be any consequences to it. Prisoners get that in prison all the time. They get a jailhouse religion and, hey, I'm good. But there are consequences to it. Some of them last a lifetime. We can be forgiven, but the consequences may still be there. Nathan told David the consequences of his sin in 2 Samuel right after he confronted him with his sins. Uriah and the baby were still dead. The lies he told that cost him trust within the people in his family were still there. The effects of that were still there. His children may have resented him and they rebelled against him. If you're in the role of Nathan and confronting somebody on their sins, don't sell them a bill of goods and tell them, hey, it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. There'll be some consequences to your sin, but you still walk through that redemption. I always promote honesty. When it comes time for the unfaithful husband to be honest with his spouse about what he has done, I always promote honesty. But I'll tell them ahead of time, is there going to be consequences to this? You, don't, you do not know how she will respond or what the results may be. But you're going to stand on the promises that the God of the universe, as far as the east is from the west, have separated your sins from you. But you have hurt her, and you need to be honest. You have offended and harmed your wife, and she deserves the truth. And I've seen different responses every time this happens. Now verse, in verse 4, Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. We sin against God, but our sin hurts the people closest to us and those around us. It doesn't say mistake. It doesn't say misjudgment. It doesn't even say sin. He says evil. Brokenness takes the pretty out of our sin. Anything that we try, any adjectives we use to try it, or any excuses we do, it takes all that away. It takes the pretty off of our sin. The world may call our sins a lifestyle choice, or sometimes it may, may even call it a mistake. Sometimes it may even call it a sin, but it will never use the word evil. David fully surrenders in knowing God has the absolute right to judge him. God's word judges and convicts us. That's why it's important to preach the word. Verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in my sin my mother conceived me. This, throws, this verse throws some people off sometimes, but at that place of brokenness, we become aware of the depth of our sinful nature. The world wants to take out the first three chapters in Genesis. If that occurs, then that means that God is not the creator. God did not ordain, he did not ordain marriage. 
God did not set limits for man, and there's no original sin. David was fully aware through his brokenness of the stain of sin that occurred at the moment of his conception. The stain of his sin was in his DNA. Without this, this knowledge and this understanding, then he's just a pretty good guy with some character flaws. That's not it. Only God through the redemption and the redemptive work of his son can heal something which is broken and infected down to the DNA of our sinful nature. We're stained with sin. From the moment of conception, David became aware of that through that brokenness. That's why brokenness is so important that we become aware of how deeply we need his loving touch. In verse 6, Behold, you desire truth in the inmost inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. The first question is, what is this inward and hidden part? Bottom line, it's our human soul. Each of us has a unique bent. God intends to use that for his glory and for his work. Some of us have the bent of leadership. Others have the bent of compassion. Some of us have the bent of encouragement. I always think of Scott. I want to think of that. Scott had the bent of encouragement. And there are many, many more. You combine these with our personality and our life experiences, and that's what makes us unique. Now, what happens is that there, to understand that there's no one else like me with that particular bent in personality and life experiences, God desires his truth to penetrate to that core, to our human soul, and he wants to direct that uniqueness of who we are. He wants to direct those things for his glory, for his benefit, for our benefit and his glory. If there's blockage there, if there's sin there, then we get into trouble. The self-directed leader, where that's blocked, may move up the ladder and be very successful. But the spirit-led leader knows when to lead and when it is for the glory of God. Sin blocks this process, and these gifts become a way of self-reliance and self-promotion. Brokenness takes away this blockage between us and God. So these gifts can be directed by the one who created them. It's used for his glory. That's why it's important to deal with these things in our life, this blockage and this sin, so God could use David, and his testimony would be one of that story of redemption. Bottom line, David wanted to be clean. He wanted to be clean thoroughly. Verse 8, Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. God broke the bones of his rebellion, but he also restores. We've all seen the picture of the, the lamb on the shepherd's shoulder, and many times this lamb would, would run off. The lamb would get in trouble. The lamb was in danger, and so the shepherd would break one or two of his legs and carry him around and take care of him to protect him, but also to make that lamb dependent upon the shepherd. And that's what's happening with David, the bones that he broke that God broke so he would stop rebelling so he would come back to him and be God-reliant and not self-reliant. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities in verse 9. Psalm 103 verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far he removed our transgressions from us. Guess who wrote that? 
David. David knew that. He knew that God would hide his face from those things, even though David was bringing nothing to the table. Created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. He wanted a clean heart and renewed spirit. When he was pursuing his sin, he was determined to pursue that sin, and nothing was going to get in his way. His steadfastness was to pursue those lies and that deception and murder. He was steadfast in that. Now he needed it reclaimed. He wanted that restoration. He needed that steadfastness. In other words, he wanted to be hard-headed to serve the Lord. I have a theory that God takes hard-headed people and makes them steadfast. And the process of getting to that place of steadfast always goes through brokenness. And so he brought him to that point, and David said he needed it reclaimed so he could pursue holiness and purity. In verse 11, he says, Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. It's a little bit different understanding of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and his relationship with David. The Holy Spirit tended to come and go and, and take action, and then he would, he would leave. So David had a different understanding. He was on the other side of the cross. It's different for us today. The Holy Spirit abides with us. And so now, as we look at, he's talking about, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Ephesians 4 talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. We sometimes block the work of the Holy Spirit, the actions of the counselor, the comforter, the guide. If there's a sin there. It's going to block that. It's going to grieve the Holy Spirit and his work in our lives. Without this, with this blockage there, then we tend to be self-directed. David had made bad decisions which blocked the Spirit with his sin. In verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. He wants his childlike, reckless abandonment, joy of salvation back. God is still in the restoration business. Have you lost your joy of your salvation? Is there something there that's keeping you from having that? I love new Christians. They're like a little puppy. I mean, they're just excited about everything. They just have that joy. Maybe we need our joy back. Maybe there's something that's taken that from us. Verse 13, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Only after the verses before that, only after he walks through these things, only after, then he can do something. Because he's, he's bringing nothing to the table, and he says, But then I will go and I'll teach transgressors. He has a testimony of God's redemption in his life of the restored sinner. The worst time in David's life will become a testimony that will touch people, hundreds and thousands of people through the years. And David wants to do that. He wants that restored. Verse 14, Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud your righteousness. He wants a new song. Uh, I was doing a group several years ago and uh, within the group was a, a young man who was a uh, song leader in his church. If you met him, you'd never guess that he was. He was just kind of a country boy and just kind of plain and stuff. But when God's hand got heavy upon him because of the sin in his life, he lost his song. He lost his ability to sing. And so as God was carrying him through that redemption, as God was restoring and he was receiving God's mercy and forgiveness, we were in group and he said, 
do you mind if I share this song? And I've heard a lot of songs in my life, songs that touch you and that type of thing, but I've never heard a song more touching because it came from his heart, and it was a new song. And from this simple young man came this tremendous song of grace and redemption. That's what David wanted. He wanted a new song. And 15, verse 15 says, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. He had used his lips to lie, pursue, and cover up his sins. Now he wanted his lips restored to where they would be used for God's purposes. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. What he's talking about here is kind of show and tell. Uh, I run into this a lot with people. Before I work with somebody who's uh, do a workshop with them, I want to see if they're at a place of brokenness. And many times through conversations with them, I can tell they're at a place of show and tell. They're not broken before God. They're doing it for somebody else. They're doing it so they don't lose their job. They're doing it so they don't get a divorce. Nothing wrong with those things per se, but that's not brokenness. That's show and tell. Sometimes we go through religious things. We're just going through the motions. And what he's saying here is that God doesn't delight in that. It's just show and tell. It means nothing to me. True brokenness says, I got nothing. I'm bringing nothing to the table. In verse 17, he says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. He doesn't say a crushed spirit. God doesn't crush our spirit. The Proverbs talks about a crushed spirit. Who can bear? He's not crushing our spirit. He's breaking our spirit, our rebellious spirit, so we can be humbled and subdued to serve the Lord. Without brokenness, there is no healing. There is no reconciliation, restoration, and salvation. Our rebellious spirits must be broken and humbled. The closing verses in Psalm 51 are talking about what will happen through restoration, new sacrifices, new things, basically a revival that will occur when he walks in that pure heart. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then they shall offer bulls on your altar. The only way that our land, our country, can make it is through true brokenness. Not through a blended brokenness, not through acts of, not religious acts, but true brokenness before the pure, the holy, the righteous God. When we bring our filthy rags before the pure, the holy, the righteous God, it breaks us down because we cannot stand before the purity of God. The good news is He has a plan. When we come to Him with nothing, when we come to Him with nothing before Him, He says, good. I love you and I welcome you back. Let's pray for that revival throughout this land. Let's pray for that place of brokenness to occur, that the barriers to that brokenness occurring will be removed and displeasure will be placed upon the lives of people who are enjoying their sin right now. The true brokenness will occur so our land can return to a place that serves the Lord first. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we recognize that 
Lord, these are words that were penned a long time ago, but your word is always alive. Let's follow that pattern, Lord, first examining ourselves to see if there's anything there that keeps us from having that relationship with you, fully receiving your mercy, grace, and forgiveness. If we've got secrets, Lord, secret sins, that we'll bring them before you so that we can be cleansed and purged and, Lord, renewed. We thank you, Lord, for this message, and we come to you in Christ's name. Amen.